Now entering Nerdist.com. Hey, uh, computer thing, thingy. Are you talking to me? Yes, biographical information, please, on Mark Altman. Mark Altman is the writer-producer of Free Enterprise, the award-winning feature film, starring Eric McCormick and William Shatner. He was awarded the Best New Writer Award at the 1998 AFI Film Festival in Los Angeles by the Writers Guild of America. He is a huge Star Trek fan, and he doesn't like you. I'm sorry? You, Ken, Mark Altman does not like you. I'm pretty sure you're wrong. No, you are wrong. I think you're confusing um, disagreeing with being disagreeable. And I think you are confusing Mark Altman with someone else. All right, let's give this a listen. Mission Log Supplemental, number four, the one with Mark Altman. All right, so we're here with Mark Altman, who uh, is the well writer and producer of Free Enterprise. And again, if any of our listeners have not seen Free Enterprise, what are you doing? Please go get that movie. It will speak to you personally. I can vouch for that. Um, he also created Sci-Fi Universe magazine and published Cinefantastique. Um, and he created the original and has now relaunched Geek Magazine. Uh, so do check that out. Um, he's also a panelist on one of my favorite Comic-Con panels, which is the Starship Smackdown. And uh, his current show, Femme Fatales, is out on DVD. Season 1 is out on DVD right now. So, Mark, uh, you made the ultimate movie about Star Trek fans, Free Enterprise. And we can talk specifics about that movie. But, you know, of all the things geeky that you are into, why is Star Trek the one that you always come back to? You know, that's a good question. Um, It was probably, you know, my first love in popular culture. Um, I was a fan of Star Trek long before Star Wars came out, you know, dating myself a little now. Um, But, you know, there all the cliches that people throw at you, you know, the optimism, the hopefulness, but uh, the, the, you know, the sense of family. And I think it was the dynamism of not only the performances of people like Shatner and Nimoy and D. Kelly, but also um, the incredible, you know, rich storytelling. Um, I've always been, I was a huge original Star Trek fan. I continue to, to this day to be a uh, original Star Trek fan and, and, you know, just a general fan of the universe. And uh, it's been really interesting to see the way that, that the franchise has evolved over all these years. Um, you know, Free Enterprise, it, it, it's sort of very satisfying that that was my first movie because it really is a love letter to Star Trek and to have the chance to work with uh, Bill Shatner, uh, you know, uh, on my first experience, you know, having been a journalist and then becoming a filmmaker uh, was really, really satisfying, particularly because we had a great experience with Bill. I mean, there are a lot of cliches about, you know, Shatner and um you know, all I can say is from my personal experience that he was absolutely delightful. And I think a lot of that had to do with the respect with which we treated him and uh, the reverence and the irreverence, you know, I, I think that's important as, as as well. So it really was a great experience. I mean, I've told this story a lot of conventions and, you know, in press and on the DVD, but, um, uh, you know, we, when we originally approached him about doing the movie, we had had the financing already, but we didn't have Bill, which is not the way to do a film. And um, we we sent him what we call now, or he calls the tear-stained letter. And we appealed to him why he should do this movie. And at the time, we were um, 
you know, pointing out that Burt Reynolds changed his image in uh, Boogie Nights and Kim Bassinger in LA Confidential. And, uh, you know, you were so brilliant at comedy, looking at your uh, Saturday Night Live skit, uh, Get a Life, but of course on Fridays. And, you know, we point to all this stuff, never mentioning Star Trek once, you know, and, uh, uh, and he finally, you know, he called us and he said, you know, guys, I'm not going to do your movie. And, uh, you know, then we just had to be relentless, sort of like the doomsday machine, and you, you just convince him <laughs> to do it. And, you know, we found an opening, and, and eventually he said, you know, look, if you changed it from this to that, and at the time he was sort of like Humphrey Bogart and played against Sam, sort mm-hmm. of a fictional construct of these guys who, you know, sort of looked to them for their advice about love and loss and everything and, and said, you know, what if I were real and I was a screwed up character – you know, I'm not saying I will do your movie. I probably still won't do it, but uh, you know, I'd look at that, and we rewrote it in about a week, and and uh, you know, he did the picture, and the rest, as they say, is uh, is history. But um, uh, you know, I'm so gratified because you know, to this day, people come up to me and you know, say how much they love the the movie, and and you know, I get recognized a lot for it more than anything else. And um, but uh, recently, I think it was at San Diego, this one kid comes up to me. And says, you know, this, uh, my, you know, I was doing bad. I was go- in a bad place. I think my, you know, my life was going down a bad road. And my parents basically took away everything I had. And, you know, they said, you can keep one thing. And he said, free enterprise. And he said, it really turned my life around. And it got me passionate about books and, you know, about traveling and about, you know, uh, you know, realizing this whole world, uh, this universe. And, 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 and it, it changed my life. And, and now I see him from time to time at different events. I saw him recently at the, um, uh, the screening they did for the release of the Star Trek uh, uh, original series CDs, and uh, he's doing great. And and I always remember that kid because, uh, uh, and you know, I, I'm sure the people who actually do the series hear these stories all the time. I became a doctor. I became a lawyer. I became a well, maybe not a lawyer. I became a doctor, <laughs> as an engineer. And uh, but you know, for us to have done this little low budget, you know, trifle, and to have that kind of response uh, was was really gratifying. I got to say, it's been a long time since I've seen Free Enterprise, but there are two things that have always stuck out to me. Um, the first is your totally righteous hatred for uh, pan and scan DVDs. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the other one is, you know, uh, Shatner parodying Shatner, um, which is kind of like his third thing now. I mean, there was Kirk, there was T.J. Hooker, and, and then there, there seems to have been are – you, so are you telling me that that was his idea, that he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll play me, but weird? Uh, yes and no, um, because we already had this character of Shatner who was this goofy kind of like crazy wild man, but mm-hmm. he was fictional. It was his idea. No, this is really me. You know, this, this is you know, and his his big admonition to us was tear me down. You know, and and we did, and occasionally it would it would go a little too far, and he said, "Well, that's a little too much." And I remember there was one time where we were sitting in his office, and he was sort of telling us stuff that had really happened to him. And then he would want us to, and we did, skew it a little differently so it wasn't exactly the story, which is what happened in, in the special edition. There's this great scene that, I don't know, we cut out of the theatrical version. I don't know why we did it. It was stupid. Where he talks about uh, running into a burning building and trying to save a kid and coming out and realizing he wasn't Captain Kirk, but then sort of a glimmer in his eye and saying, but I had to try. And that really happened to him on a beach where he tried to save a kid who was drowning. And then he realized he was drowning too. And it was a, you know, a fabulous story and sort of Having him be this this uh, resource uh, was incredible, and uh, you know he never ceased to amaze me. I mean, there was this great story when we were in Cannes with him, and we were the first people to ever take him to the Cannes Film Festival. Um, he presented a prop from the um, movie to Planet Hollywood. 
um, in Planet Hollywood can, which was pretty surreal for us as the filmmakers to be there with Captain Kirk <laughs> giving this thing to Planet Hollywood. And uh, he tells the story about, um, you know, I play this character. And so I went and got this bomber jacket in, in this old, you know, five and dime store, you know, and it was, and I found out it belonged to the great World War One flying ace, Eddie Rickenbacker. And it came to me from Germany. And now I'm giving it to you here in France and da da da. And it was this wild story. And he went on much longer and with much more panache than I'm telling it. And when he came off the stage, I'm like, Bill, that's incredible. We had no idea. And he goes, I made it up. <laughs> and that's the of kind course. of showman that you know that he is and you know it's funny because we really were at the beginning of uh, the reinvention of Shatner this third phase of his career you talk about and you know it sort of irks me and my collaborator Rob Burnett that we never get the credit we deserve because like even in his own book Get a Life you know he glosses over uh, uh, Free Enterprise and the funny thing is at the time he had told Priceline about this movie he was doing and they said oh really you know uh, we're thinking about doing something with him, like singing in a club. And we hear you have him singing in a club and rapping. And can you send us, like, th- just to take a look at? And we send him some stuff. And I was joke. I didn't even get any free plane tickets out of it, let alone stock. <laughs> so uh, you know, it's very you know very very frustrating. Because of course, then he went on to be the big giant head in Third Rock, and of course, right. you know, Boston Legal, and you know, the whole uh, as you say, you know, parroting of of Shatner. But I'm surprised you don't mention the most important conversation in Free Enterprise. I, I would have thought you would have pointed that out, which, of course, is the This Side of Paradise conversation <laughs> uh, when um, Shatner shows up in, in, in Mark's office. And Mark is um, – that's why I got such a kick listening to your podcast because, you know, Mark's very upset that uh, uh, Rob has been hanging out with this girl instead of, like, palling around and going out drinking and carousing with him. And so he wants to break them up. And, and Shatner is, like, you know, being – you know, uh, you can't do that. That's not right. He's found love, whatever. And, and then, you know, Mark is like, uh, you know, you uh, you didn't you you didn't sound like that when you you know, Mr. Spock was infected by the spores and he was farming and he was happy too and you screwed it all up for him. And I'm I'm paraphrasing because there's a lot of profanity in that scene, but um, but it, it, you know, it was funny because listening to your podcast reminded me of that scene, which is actually one of the last things I wrote for that movie um, because I felt like we needed a couple more sort of Star Trek references and it it, it, it had come to me um, that. Wow, this was really a great analogy for what was going on between the characters of Mark and Rob, the whole mm. Omicron SETI 3. And in fact, I think he mentions Omicron SETI 3 in the movie. I haven't watched it in a while either, but I remember <laughs> the conversation. So it was really funny that you invited me to this side of paradise because, of course, that's such an important part of the metaphor for free enterprise. Well, can, I, can I tell you something uh, honest and true? I did not invite you to talk about <laughs> <laughs> And that's, that's absolutely true. In fact, when Rod said, we want to do an episode and it's just going to be about, you know, about this side of paradise, uh, you know, a, a supplemental about this side of paradise, I believe my exact words were, I don't want to. <laughs> well, I can understand uh, after those ridiculous pronouncements you made in the podcast why you would not want to uh, talk about it anymore. Well, oh, yes. Let's all be on drugs forever and not let. Nothing, uh, see, we'll, we'll get into this in a minute. And I'm going to bust out a little Shakespeare on you. Oh, OK. I'll just warn you right oh, now. In the but, tradition of Star Trek. Let's let's talk yeah. about Star Trek. Uh, let's break out Shakespeare when we don't want to actually talk about something. Well, here's well, the no, 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 But the one thing I was going to say really quickly is there was a third thing that does always stick in my mind about Free Enterprise. And we can go back to talking about Star Trek, but I just have to say a fantastic thing where, where, where Shatner is sitting there talking to them about uh, doing his version of Julius Caesar and playing all the, all the principles. <laughs> and one of the characters says, doesn't that mean you'll have to stab yourself in the back? And he says, well, 
I've done it before. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's just, yeah. So, yes, I, I'm going to second what John said a minute ago. If you haven't seen Free Enterprise, uh, you know, go do it now. Yeah. Well, I just love how much fun Bill, you know, the Brits would say, taking the piss out of himself. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's great. And he really was, he was fearless. And, uh, you know, I think even he was, there was a time where he was like, did I go too far? And, you know, he was concerned like he was going to really screw up his career by, you know, by doing this. And then people would really confuse that character with the way he really was. And, um, and you know, it ended up being, you know, it paved the way for, I think, you know, this, this twilight of his career, which has been so fantastic. And, uh, you know, it was so much, it was so much fun. And he was so game because, you know, it was a small independent film. So there were some really late nights and uh, rainy nights. And, you know, he was, you know, always up and, and uh, bouncing off the walls. And, and uh, it was great. And I got to tell him the story. I had a good friend of mine who's also a, 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 a very talented TV producer he told me a story about how Al, Al Pacino had just screened Generations at the time and was such a fan of Shatner's and he was sort of bagging on Patrick and I was telling um, uh, Shatner the story be, to amuse him because basically we're sitting around waiting to shoot waiting for the lights to get set up and and you know Shatner really got a Got a, got a kick out of it. I also have another Shatner this side of Paradise Story kind of thing. It's all flooding back to me now. But I remember there's a line where we mentioned, you know, uh, Jill Ireland. And, you know, a lot of people say, how much does Bill really remember of the original Star Trek? It's been so long. But he was the one who said, look, let's call her by her character's name because, you know, the actress actually died of cancer and maybe it could be perceived as being disrespectful. And, and it was really funny because, you know, Rob and I were trying not to let on we were these huge Star Trek fans because he actually <laughs> treated us with respect. <laughs> and he couldn't believe that we, you know, we'd financed a movie and we're doing all this stuff and successful in the business and actually love Star Trek. And so it was it was really funny because, um, you know, he said, well, so find out what character Leela, uh, what character Jill Ireland played. Maybe they have these encyclopedias. You can look it up and find out what the character's name was or these books. Or you could do some research and then come back and change the script. And we both said, Leela Clomey? <laughs> like, look at us. And it was sort of like, you know, what is going on here? Well, I mean, you mean to say that you were able to keep up this ruse. That the charade. It, here's this script that is so, from page one, it is so full of Star Trek fan love. Of, that he didn't think that the two writers of the film weren't fans? Well, I think he thought we were geniuses who were trying to cash in on Star Trek. But somehow we realized <laughs> there was this incredible phenomenon called Star Trek. And maybe if we could get the fans of the show to come see our movie, it was a way to capitalize on this, you know, burgeoning fan culture. <laughs> and and that we had done research and somehow come up with this crazy movie, you know, not realizing that we were, you know, fans. And we, look, we always tell these stories, these anecdotes. I mean, but it was funny because I remember, you know, we were in his office doing a meeting and you know Ricardo Montalbaum called and and uh, you know he's sitting there hello Ricardo and it was we were laughing and we're looking at each other like we can't believe he's talking to Khan you know it's not John Harrison he's talking to Khan and uh, we're very excited and um, he uh, you know they're looking at each other and 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 talking and we're just like this is great this is just like in the movie they talk on on the a communicator but they never meet and you know it was like so we had all these Star Trek moments but it was nothing that we ever. Um, you know, that we ever uh, was heard. Although, I mean, it was funny because Shatner always pleads ignorance to a lot of Star Trek. But I mean, I remember what time, one time we were talking about like uh, the game of Triskelion and how hot Angelique Pettyjohn was. And he sort of comes up to us in the bookstore and he goes, you know, 
who's Angelique Pettyjohn? He does it with sort of a wink, like where you know they had been together, and you know, like he knew exactly who she was. But he's like playing coy, and it was it was a great moment, you know. And and that was a really fun night because uh, it was late. We were in the bookstore in the in the valley, and it was. Literally, we were in the middle of El Nino. I mean, the the water was like close to flooding into the store. It was just horrible, and we were just waiting for somebody to get electrocuted. There were all these cables, like you know, and the and it was just. But he was up, and it was fun, and we had the whole mind comp bit with Eric McCormick that you know I'd come up with on the spot, which was just really fun. And you know, McCormick was great and great ad libber, and he did that whole you know uh, physical comedy where he he trips over the sofa, which was a really fun bit of business that he came up with, and uh, you know, and then Rob had given. And then the Twilight Zone booked that they end up. It was just you know there was a lot of stuff we were inventing on the fly. And Shatner was the one I think who said you know he picks up the, the barely legal and he's reading it and that's when they, they meet him and it was like he was totally like you know are you sure you're okay with this? It's like yeah, and, you know between takes he's sitting there reading barely legal. It was really funny. <laughs> All right, so the reason you're here, Mark, um, I, I I don't know if you know this, but when we did our episode of uh, Mission Log for this side of paradise. We got, Ken, wouldn't you say, more listener response than anything we've talked about up until now? I mean, it, um, it's kind of remarkable. It, if by we got more listener response, you mean I got more <laughs> listener response. And if by response, you mean, uh, what are you on drugs? Yeah, yeah. As, as our as our esteemed Well, well wait a minute. I, I'll start it out. I'll, I'll throw you a bone here, Ken, because the, the first uh, comment that we got from Facebook, uh, Rick uh, Tetro says, uh, I've been watching this episode for 40 plus years. And Ken, you just gave me something new to think about, or I'm sorry, new to ponder. Well done, sir. Should we just stop there? Are we? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Let's call it a day. Well, here's the thing, you know. So much now, the- should you recap for people who didn't hear the last? Because I did listen to it. Yes, there may be yeah. people who haven't heard uh, what you guys did. Can you distill it down the Cliff Notes version of sort of what the debate was? And I have a sure, lot of respect sure, sure. for yeah. you, you know, sort of putting that out there. It is a very contrarian point of view, and it is very interesting. It's nuts, but it's very interesting. Yeah. So maybe you can just sort of sum up. You know, sort of the, the debate you well, guys had. Well, it, it kind of comes down to this. I mean, I, uh, my point was that the uh, the spores in this side of paradise, even though they are creating a kind of happiness for the uh, for the settlers on we Omicron, called it a happiness pill back in the 20th century. Yeah, yes, he would. Yeah, yeah. Um, dating dating Star Trek immensely. It, it, it was a uh, it was a false construct, and and it essentially stopped those settlers from achieving anything more. Um, now, Ken was presenting the uh, the position that what does it matter they were happy and ken i i actually i'll defend you here because i i think the thing that you're presenting is kind of a a bigger discussion about well what is happiness when, when we say happiness um are we just saying that it is a thing uh that it, that it's something that we can achieve and if you are happy as the, as is the case with the uh, the settlers on Omicron City Three, if you are happy, who's to say that you shouldn't be or couldn't be? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to open the can of worms again. Well, that, that, uh, there's, there's more to it than that, but uh, but you know, you, you're uh, go ahead, go ahead and summarize your your position again. You can say that it's like okay. You can say that it's a it's a deeper examination of happiness if you want to, and and I don't think there's any way we can avoid getting into a deeper examination of happiness. But I want to I do want to clear up one thing. A lot of the blowback that I got 
was people saying, well, Spock this and the crew of the Enterprise that. I never made the case that Kirk should have stayed on that planet, nor did I make the case that, that Kirk should have let his crew stay on that planet. The case that I made was that they should have let the colonists stay on that planet. Now, maybe we don't have enough information to know whether the colonists should have been there or not, but it, it felt to me very much like they just went in and decided the fate of the colonists in a way that was different than, you know, Return of the Archons or, or other... Uh, or other um, settlement. But, but go ahead, have at me. I'm used to it now. <laughs> but George Takai gave the same performance as Archons. Whenever he's like uh, possessed by happiness, he's like, does the same shtick. It's pretty funny. Yeah, no, it was uh, actually, what was, the, um, oh, what was the episode, John, you and I just did? Um, yep. What was it? Cat's Paw? No, <laughs> not yet. Which one? Not I, the one we just did. Like earlier today, sitting on the edge of forever. Thank you. He does oh, the same one. thing. Yeah. Sitting oh, that, on the- <laughs> that that little uh, episode. Well, yes. forgive me. We're tossing him around left and right, but yeah, I mean, the, he he gives him the two. Uh, here, I'll remember this. He gives him the two drops of cordrazine, right? And and Sulu comes up with just that same goofy smile. I mean, you know, which I, I shouldn't say it's a goofy smile. I love, I love, uh, yeah. I love it's, to to care. No, okay, it's, it's a goofy smile. Sitting on the edge of forever has oh god, some of the greatest scenes. Yeah. Yes. Even that little scene, just when they're about to go through the Guardian and, you know, sort of everyone's wishing them well, you know, whatever world they're going to find themselves. And, you know, Nichelle says, what, happiness at least. It's just so, yeah. it always gets me. It's like, so, oh, that's such a great episode. But anyway, yes. but anyway. I, I, I'm trying to avoid the unhappy truth of telling Ken that he's out of his mind. <laughs> First of all, Sandoval, at the end, he admits after he's off the drug, when he's, he's not high anymore, he basically says, we haven't done anything. We haven't produced anything. I, I mean, I know you guys were even knocking, well, not knocking, that's not the right thing. You're saying, well, you know, they're on the Disney Ranch, so it's like uh, mm. these old-fashioned uh, um, buildings. But I, I get the sense that as settlers, they were sort of looking for an earlier way of life. They were looking to reclaim, like, sort of the past, give up technology and go back to, uh, you know, more primitive way of, of doing things, which were more hands-on and touchy-feely and without technology. So I didn't mind the fact that the colony wasn't sort of like a colony out of aliens, that it was sort of sure. you know, a 1960s back on but <laughs> right. um but the, the thing is um you know like i said i think even sandoval realizes and there's a great speech earlier on when they talk about you know shatters you know it's it shatters great in the episode i mean he he just it's really his episode because what i i think people don't even notice is that you know there's a good 10 minutes where he's just walking around the ship you know and, yeah. and no one else mm-hmm. and and he holds your interest i mean it takes a really interesting actor to sort of command your attention doing nothing and literally all he's doing is like walking around touching a few buttons sitting in the chair getting up from the chair going down getting a samsonite as you so accurately right, pointed yes. out <laughs> you know um getting his medals you know his little cub scout medals and everything and yeah. I, you know i think that it, it's a great sequence wait, as, wait 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 hold on a second you're blowing my mind right now though it seemed like john's argument and correct me if i'm wrong John, it seems like John's argument was that they were actually supposed to be, you know, doing this whole thing where they're producing food for other colonies or something like that. You were saying that you believe that these guys were on this planet to have sort of this simpler life, this agrarian life, which they end up with, but they also end up with happiness. I mean, if you're saying that was the reason they went there, then what is it that they didn't accomplish exactly? Well, I think that they, they want to have, uh, you know, uh, ki- maybe they want to have kids. They want to have uh, – uh, they want to they produce. They want to be a productive member of the Federation but doing it in a different kind of way. Not like that up the long ladder kind of way where they're carrying pigs on the Enterprise or anything. But uh, I think that they definitely, you know, have you know aspirations not just to, to sort of – 
because they want to have their own thoughts and wits about them. I mean, these literally, we all know this episode is a metaphor for sort of what was going on in the 60s. You know, people dropping LSD and the Timothy Leary, you know, tune in, drop out kind of thing. And it's like, oh, wouldn't it be great to just be stoned all the time and live on Omicron 73 and have sex with Jill Ireland? Well, you know, that's great, but it gets old <laughs> after a while. And, um, you know, I think, you know, really what Kirk says is, you know, I think the point you made was, well, he's just he's selfish. He doesn't want to lose his friends and lose his command and lose his ship. But I, I don't think that's the case at all, because, um, uh, you know, and, and, and the reality is, is that once the Enterprise disappeared, you know, uh, uh, and they sort of settled in for a little bit, Starfleet's going to send another ship after them to see what the hell happened. And, and, and they're still going to have the same situation. The next captain's going to come and say, OK, you're all coming with me. And then, and they're going to introduce him to spores. I mean, it's just like eventually this paradise is going to last. Paradise never lasts. I mean, it goes yeah. back if you believe in the Bible, you know, to eat, you know, to Eden. You know, paradise. People are just not meant to live in in paradise. It's hard to perpetuate that, and you can't appreciate paradise if you're perpetually living in it. And again, these people don't have their wits about it. They don't have uh, control over their, their own thoughts and, 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 and their aspirations and the desire to achieve. And I mean, create great poetry and great literature and all the things that make a civilization. They're just sort of stalling and treading water, you know, and, and it, you know, it, it obviously evokes memories of stuff like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which was much more sinister. And we're told the, spore, the spores are benevolent here. But at the end of the day, um, you know, the result is the same. It's a completely stagnant culture in which, you know, people are going around smiling. And I mean, it's not that much different than our, the Ark, Return of the Archons. You know, in that case, Landrew, you know, had them under his thumb. But in this case, you know, even if it's benevolent, uh, you know, these people's self-will, their, 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 their personal identities. I mean, you know, uh, uh, McCoy has so much to offer, you know, it, that whole great conversation about, well, you, we don't need doctors anymore. You know, you can you know, start farming. Well, he didn't train all these years to be a farmer. He wants to be a doctor. He wants to help people. And okay. to have that stripped away from him is nah. sad. Now, well, okay, talking- well, no, no, I agree that having that stripped away from him is sad, but here's the thing. That only happens when Sandoval comes to give him a job besides sitting under the tree. And that only happens after Kirk does his little, you know, uh, thing with the supersonic whatever from the Enterprise that's pissing everybody off. I mean, you're, 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 look, look, you're right. There has not been a utopia that has worked to this point. Does that mean we give up on the idea? I mean, we're saying right now that, well, well, this never works. Well, no, this hasn't worked to this point. But guess what else hasn't worked to this point? Teleporters and phasers and starships and warp speed and all of these things that we aim toward. But the one thing that we are going to hold on to this whole time is the fact that, but we're still going to have to slog. We're still going to have to slog it out. You know why? Because we always have. That, 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 just, that, just, that just stops me right there. That just stops me because then I don't see the point in all of it because what's going to end up at the top of all of that is some guy who says, you want to teleport? That'll be $80. I mean, what this all ends up with is somebody still having it over somebody else. And we have to be trying to aim towards a place where we're not doing that. If we're just going to say that every time we come across happiness, and it is very different to me than Return of the Archons because that was – a group of people who wanted something different and they weren't really getting any benefit from it. I mean, these guys are getting health. Mint they're, juleps. They're getting lots of mint juleps. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're, gonna, you're not going to get me to argue against that. Well, I want a Kentucky mint julep or, you know, what we actually call a mint julep. Let's assume that they did stay. Yeah. That Kirk went along. They all no, stayed. No, stop, okay, so stop, stop, stop. That was never my argument. That was never my argument. Operation Annihilate. 
all those those little parasites would have destroyed the planet, moved on. The doomsday machine would have leveled the universe. They would have not, you know, you ha- the good of the many outweighs the good of the one. Even if Spock could have stayed and been happy, had he had had Kirk not done what he did, think of what the Enterprise could not have achieved in protecting the Federation. This is so geeky. <laughs> protecting the Federation and the galaxy, all the greatness that they left. I mean, you know, saving the Kittimer Conference. None of this stuff would have happened if they were sitting farming and growing plants on Omicron SETI 3. It would also have been a very boring show for the next couple of seasons. Well, that's true. That's very true. My argument, though, again, go back and listen. My argument was never that the Enterprise should have stayed. What I said was that Kirk should have done what he had to do to get his crew off of there because they had a mission and they had commitments that they had to make. At the end of that time, though, they should have been allowed to go back to where the colonists were. Forcing the colonists off is the thing that bothers me. And it's the same sort of thing as like, hey, Native Americans, we bought you Bibles and and pants. So, you know, come be like us. They were sent by Starfleet. So they had to live under the rules of Starfleet. And Kirk was under orders to get them back. I don't disagree So examine that, though. Why? Why was that that the order? I mean, because here's the thing. Starfleet was not that concerned. It's been three years. Admiral Comac? Absolutely. (laughs) It's been three years since we have heard from these people. They were not on a rescue mission. They were not on a mercy mission. They had not received any sort of distress call. They went down to that planet expecting to find bodies. They wanted to find out what had happened. So it wasn't like, you know, we really need this food in this quadrant. We're not getting that. Go find out what's going on or see if you can save these people. Starfleet left these guys for dead. And then when they got around to going to find out what happened to them, three years after they heard from them last, then they find out that they're alive and all of a sudden, well, it's very important that we get them off this planet because this is not right for them. Oh, it was right well, for them when we thought they were dead. Maybe they wanted to examine them to find out why they were immune to the Bertold rays and they could help another colony that was being hurt by Bertold rays. I mean, you know, other other societies that were threatened by the Bertold rays. I mean, who knows? But at, at the end of the day, you know, Kirk was following the orders of Starfleet Command. And who's to say that they wouldn't have been allowed to go back? Had they just said, you know, look, we were happy there. We were not in danger, you know, and, and, and you know, we want to go back and we understand. And maybe they would have been allowed to go back. Mm. But, uh, you know, I think ultimately the fact that Sandoval at the at the very end, you know, comes to terms with the fact that, oh, now that I'm no longer high, now that I'm no longer infected with these spores. Oh, my, my God, what was I doing? I was like eating all the cookies and, and running around naked through the quad. You know, he, he realizes that this thing was not good and that, you know, now that he's sobered up, uh, uh, he hadn't accomplished anything. And he, he, there's things he wants to do. And the, other, the only person who really gets screwed in the whole situation is Jill Ireland. Yeah. Figuratively wow. and literally. But uh, I think that, you know, um, uh, you know, it, it's validated by the ending that, you know, everyone's ha- sort of happy to be off the spores. I'll, uh, I'll read another comment here from a listener. Uh, Ed Severn sent us an email saying, I also love this side of paradise, but I disagree with Ken. The people in that episode are artificially happy. They can no longer think for themselves. They are addicted to those spores. The message is simple. Stay away from addictive drugs. Um, and one of the other comments that kept coming up quite a bit uh, was uh, very frequently using the word consent. The biggest problem here for a lot of our listeners was that there was no consent from those who were being infected by the spores. Now, Ken, you, you mentioned, and we talk about this a lot on our show, about how there are technologies or beings or advancements seem to get abandoned 
by the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we just have like the Guardian of Forever. Well, here's this incredible power that now we just abandon. Uh, well, do we? Have you read the fan fiction? Well, <laughs> <laughs> we're only sticking with canon here. <laughs> but, uh, um, well, yesterday they had set up a base, and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. they clearly were not just leaving we'll, it for somebody. We'll, we'll to get discover. to that one, okay, for sure. Never yeah. mind. Um, hey, I just have to say one thing. I don't know if you've heard this or if you can dig this up, but there's an incredible public service announcement from the early 70s that Shatner and Nimoy do in character against, quote-unquote, hard drug abuse. And it's basically they find a planet, and, 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 which is it, uh, basically the, the populace is being, you know, dying off. And, and, and uh, uh, Spock says, this is very similar to the 20th century phenomenon of hard drug abuse. And Shatner <laughs> goes on and is talking about the, the, the terrors of hard drive. It's hysterical. <laughs> and it's all the sound effects and everything. And I, I think they probably recorded it when they were doing the animated series. Right. But if you can dig that up, it is one of the great pieces of Star Trek kitsch I've ever That's heard. Great. And uh, um, in fact, I think my friend Darren actually did um, took stuff from the animated series and put it to the audio <laughs> from the <laughs> PSA. Um, but it's it's you, because you mentioned the whole fact of uh, of, of you know that or this reader or the guy who listened to the podcast uh-huh. is saying that it's basically saying stay off drugs, which I don't know if it's saying stay off drugs as much as it's saying don't be perpetually on drugs. Right. <laughs> you know, right. I, well, I, I, personally, I think the whole drug the whole drug analogy is kind of a fallacy, though, because the drugs that you're talking about, I mean, talk about coke, heroin, meth, whatever, they all are are, are detrimental. To the body, and to uh, not the Landro body, but you know, detrimental to the human body, <laughs> and to and to accomplishing what you do want to accomplish. They went there to have this agrarian life, and they got this agrarian life. And as a bonus, they were happy and they were healed. I mean, they were. I mean, you know, they they. I don't know why it restored tonsils. That's kind of a drag because you might just have to have those taken out again. Same with an appendix. But yeah. I mean, you end up with a better human or a more complete human. Uh, at the end of uh, time on this planet than you had when you started. But here's the so, thing. I mean, that, I, that, I that sort of kills the whole drug analogy for me because, uh, because, you know, drugs kill, speed kills, you know, coke, meth, blah, blah, blah. They all do bad things to the physical body, whereas this thing was actually doing good things to the physical body and pleasing them at the same time. See, I, I disagree with the idea that this is some sort of uh, a purely benevolent uh, uh, drug or, or being. The, yeah, I know you do, and that's why you brought in reinforcements. I'm wise <laughs> to your game, mister. <laughs> well, John, to his credit, did not know how I felt about this yeah, issue not until at all. I arrived. So. Not at all. Uh, it, yeah. You know, when Rod asked me to do the podcast, uh, you know, I... I you know, I listened to it and I said, what is this crazy nonsense? So if we're blaming anybody, let's blame Rod. Yeah, well, you know, it's like I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but here's the thing. The, the spores uh, have at least enough of a draw on the people who are infected by the spores that then those people are determined to infect everybody else around them. You know, what's the first thing that McCoy does? He starts beaming up more of the, uh, the plants in the Enterprise. They're, they decide, well... You know, our goal is to infect every single human being that we can get our hands on. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know that I agree though, because I mean, I mentioned this I think in the episode. I mean, in Little Shop of Horrors, Audrey too comes to Earth and comes to Earth with the intention not only of you know feeding on the people, but also growing more Audrey twos and taking over the planet and then moving on. Um, this this plant uh, seems to have no interest in getting off planet. No, it's very benevolent. 
Wow. They, say, they say that it's just taken host in the plants. That they're actually the spores have been traveling and found a home in the plants, and then the plants are. But I agree with you that they they don't have a sinister intent, a la Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Although I will say, Leonard Nimoy gave the same performance in that that he gave in The Side of Paradise, and um, and then you know, or as you say, I mean, if anything, this thing is analogous to this side of Eat this way to Eden, where mm-hmm. you know they're looking for an. They should have just gone to Omicron Steady Three. They would have been a lot of hair, <laughs> you know. Then. They'd go and try to find that planet with the poison apples. You know, I mean, it's a recurring theme. It's interesting on a deeper level of, of the show is the Star Trek characters never being able, being thrown out of paradise. And, you know, I think it's interesting given that, you know, Gene Ronberry was an atheist that, you know, he's so fascinated by sort of these, you know, godlike beings and sort of the, 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 the being expelled from paradise because we see it again, you know, again and again. And, uh, you know, I just want to say, Ken, since you're so fond on letting them stay on drugs, basically, uh, maybe in Star Trek V, Kirk should have just let everybody fall under the sway of Cybok and hang out with God on, you know, Nimbus Three or whatever. I mean, yeah, except he was some, he was up to something nefarious. I mean, well, there's there's a difference. Not necessarily. They were happy. Let me go back for a second, though. I mean, don't you think that that's don't you think that that's um, I don't want to say a symptom, but don't you think that that's something that both atheists and um, agnostics do? I mean, there has to be a fascination with God. It seems to me the people who are least interested in really contemplating God are the ones who, who you know, already know what they believe, right? I mean, they've already kind of decided. That's true. Mm-hmm. And I, I, think, I think, again, that's something that's so incredible about Star Trek and what she did is that in the 60s that there was a show dealing with these kind of issues. And, and uh, even something as small as – you remember early in this the side of Paradise, one of the settlers is you know, African-American. It's just a throwaway character. You just don't see that kind of stuff on television in the 60s. I mean we look at it now and we, we think, oh, there's nothing really – You know, it wouldn't even register to us. But just the fact that one of the colonists is you – know, I, mean, I mean you look at what was going on in Alabama and Mississippi and, and all this stuff and, and, and at the time and, uh, and, 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 and with desegregation. And yet it's treated as completely not even worthy of note. You know, the fact that the colonists are you know, Asian and, and African-American and, and – I mean it's just – it's the kind of thing that is sort of lost through the mist of time. You know, we all talk about the interracial kiss in, in Plato's Stepchildren. But what Star Trek did in terms of breaking down barriers is so much more than that. Uh, and, and it, you know, it's just worth noting. And I'm not trying to change the subject from your craziness, Ken. I just wanted to point it out, you know, because it was something that I, w- I was thinking about. And just, you know, rewatching the episode, I was, you know, really, uh, you know, it, it just reminded me of that fact that, you know, how how – you know, you know, just how incredible um, yeah. the original Star Trek was, and and in presaging technology. I, I mean, again, the fact that we're forty years on, or close to fifty, and that so much of what Star Trek introduced is coming true. I mean, it's amazing. It's not three hundred years later; it's it's, mm. it's forty years later. But uh, I mean, these these are things that people weren't even speculating about at the time. I mean, you would even find them in science fiction books, uh, and. and it's just uh, it's it's really remarkable, and and that's why I'm always so indignant when people sort of trash the original as looking cheesy or you know. I mean, when you look at the budget that they were doing it on, and 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 sort of the amazing uh, vision that they had, which no matter whether you love the subsequent series or or don't like them, they never had the kind of vision in terms of postulating um, the future. In terms of really reinventing our the aesthetic uh, um, that the original show uh, so successfully did, because even though it's such a, a stepchild of Forbidden Planet, 
Um, Forbidden Planet, you know, sort of, she's, it's the flying saucer and it's, mm-hmm. you know, ray guns and a robot. And, you know, I love Forbidden Planet, don't get me wrong. But Star Trek really was a quantum leap from that in, in terms of everything. You know, the giant, you know, big screen TV, you know, in, in, in the bridge and, and, you know, Bluetooth and the sliding doors. I mean, that's the thing. If you, you know, you weren't, you didn't grow up watching in the 60s, which I don't think any of us did. Um, but, you know, even then, it wasn't until the mid-70s that sort of sliding doors became sort of de, de rigueur. So, uh, again, I, I, you know, hate, I hate to change the subject so dramatically, but it's something that I, I really feel like I need to proselytize for because more and more I hear, oh, you know, it's so dated, it's so this, it's so that. And, you know, I hadn't watched an original Star Trek in quite a long time until I rewatched uh, This Side of Paradise. And, you know, I thought, you know, am I still going to feel the love and you know more than anything i i i i I, it it impressed me with just how amazing that episode is yeah this is this is one of the questions that we actually always um ask at the end of each episode um does the production stand the test of time and we've pretty much had to go ahead and acknowledge at the beginning of every episode that this is always going to be a piece of television made in the 1960s so if you're looking for you know photorealistic and can you believe the way that ship blew up and you know can you believe how cool that effect was then you're always going to say no, but we're we're not we're doing we're not doing that. We're we're trying very hard to not do that. I mean, to watch it both in terms of what people were watching at the time, you know, what else they had available to them, and then the kind of thing. And that you're women are about. always going to avoid answering a question too. Uh, <laughs> that kills me. See, because you, yeah. you mentioned. I mean, we've talked a lot about the 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 the, the great um, um, uh, multicultural. Uh, and and multiracial uh, presentation of um, of of the future that Star Trek brings. Uh, sexist as the day is long, though. <laughs> but that's you know, that's a I whole other thing for a whole other. Yeah, well, well, yeah, yeah, I don't want to change the conversation, yeah. but it is a subject that we discussed at length um, for Geek. Uh, for the next issue of Geek, we did a, a Star Trek roundtable with uh, myself and Rod and. Um, uh, Scott Mance from Access Hollywood and Brandon Braga and, and David Goodman, who just wrote that wonderful book, uh, Federation, the first 150 years. And we talk at length about the sexism. And of course, you know, I'm saying the great failing of Star Trek was was in a way it's sexism. When you look at stuff like Turn About a Truder, a woman can't be. Uh, but when you really think about it, that was Fred Freiberger in the third season. If you go back and look earlier, you look at stuff like Gene Roddenberry putting a woman second in command of the ship in the cage, and it was the network that didn't allow that. And even as Scott pointed out, and I won't take credit for this, somebody like Nancy Hedford, who was the Hillary Clinton of her time, you know, she was being sent to negotiate a peace between these warring, you know, uh, uh, planets, and and that's all she cared about. She was this incredible diplomat, and you know, she was a woman. So, uh, yes, there are these moments of sexism, mm-hmm. but. You know, given that it was the 60s, it, it actually is, you know, we, we don't ever approach, other than Turnabout Intruder, a level of madman-like sexism. It's actually very progressive in a lot of respects. And, uh, you know, Spock telling Jill Ireland, it's just like a woman never to answer a question. It's not as bad as, as some of the other stuff. And well, there no, may be a little truth to that. Uh, <laughs> it, it, well, it, it recurs from time to time, though. I can't remember the um, – uh, uh, what's the one? I am so bad with the titles. I apologize. The Amusement Planet. Oh, surely. Oh, surely. How can yeah, you not yeah. know surely? Well, yeah, that's sure, well, everything you've argued this whole episode. <laughs> I, know, I know surely. <laughs> I know surely if I just forget the titles of things. But there's this whole thing where like, okay, so uh, Sulu finds a gun and and they see – I can't remember what, all the, what, what the different things are that happen. But nobody has any problem believing that any of the things happen just you know, the way the men say it happened. But then when the woman says that she saw, I believe, a knight – 
Right. Oh, come on. Did this really happen? Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, after 15 minutes of... I'd believe anything Yeoman Barrows told me. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that, that's Sorry one of the differences between you and Kirk then, because he was just like, no. See, but no. you're a girl, though, so I'm going to really, I'm going to doubt what you say. No, I, I actually agree with that. And, of course, her, you know, their fantasies are all these macho fantasies, even Sulu. And no, <laughs> they're all these macho fantasies. And um, Yeoman Barrows is to be swept away by a knight in shining armor. So, yeah, I, I, I agree about that. And, of course, she has the fancy uh, dress ball gown, you know, the, the the, you know, the princess, the gown, princess and gown, yeah, which we, but it's actually... also why it's the first episode I showed my, you know, four year old kids, you know, was the, the, you know, the shore leave because I thought it was something that they would enjoy. Um, we, uh, we see too, the, uh, too soon, too soon though. Yeah. <laughs> we, we see the princess gown turned back up in the squire of Gothos as well. And I'm yes. just, I'm just going to throw out titles now when I can. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you did make a good point in the last podcast about how, um, this side of paradise is tracked with all this music from, uh, you know, Alexander Courage music from The Cage and then a lot of music from Shoreleaf. And it works extremely well in the episode. Uh, I don't know if you talked about, you know, this amazing set that La La Land Records put out, you know, the complete original Star Trek uh, music, you know, the 12 uh, CDs. But um, it, 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 it's made me spend a lot more time listening to the original Star Trek music. And it's just brilliant. I mean, it's just brilliant. And that said, if you don't have it, and you can save up to afford it. You should get it. It is uh, and uh, it is it's just incredible. Um, and there are a couple of cues that weren't um, used in the show that are great. And the liner notes are fantastic. And uh, my good friend Jeff Bond worked on it. And the guys at Law Records did an amazing job. And there's a cue which, ironically, from uh, I think from the Enterprise incident. That's an episode of Star Trek. Ken um, <laughs> is uh, is uh, called Free Enterprise. And I, I, I thought that was great. It was from the Q sheet. And I never knew that when we named uh, Free Enterprise, Free Enterprise. So, um, but it, I, that's a you know, shameless plug for that set because it's amazing. And uh, I highly recommend it. I will say I'm thoroughly enjoying uh, not talking about this side of paradise, but I, I do want to. I was looking at more viewer mail here and just, you know, ready to throw another one out. Well, I was going to uh, say, I do want to go ahead and hit one specifically because I'm, I said that I would um, do oh, okay. uh, a little bit of Shakespeare. Oh, uh, right, right, right. Uh, um, Michael, uh, due respect to Spock, uh, but he got it wrong. He wasn't truly happy for the first time in his life. Maybe he felt truly happy for the first time, but it wasn't real happiness. Um, the, the Shakespeare quote that it made me think of was in Hamlet, uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern ask Hamlet how he's doing, and he likens his life uh, as Prince of Denmark uh, to being in prison. And they don't get it, saying, you know, how cool they think Denmark is and how cool they think Hamlet's life is, uh, to which he replies, why then, tis none to you, uh, for there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so to me it is a prison. This idea that kept coming back from a lot of the emails was, well, they're not really happy. Well, define it. Define really happy. There also seemed to be this sort of uh, going back to something that we were talking about earlier, this idea of, well, they didn't work for it or, you know, I don't I don't understand that part of it. I don't understand the whole of there's like a, an idea that if you didn't if you didn't slog, like I mentioned earlier, then any happiness that you get is like a cheat or it's not real. And and that's that's like a pearly gates idea. That's like, a, you know, the, at the end of life, we get to see who has the most toys or we get to see whether or not we get to go to heaven or hell. It doesn't strike me as actually uh, a, a, a thing to aim for. I don't know. I, I would have to disagree because I think that there are things in life 
that sneak up on you that make you happy, that give you, you know, that fire the synapses in the brain or whatever that, you know, give you a sense of happiness or euphoria or whatever, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, your kids or watching a good Star Trek movie or, you know, whatever, sex, you know. And and I think that um, in the case of this, it, it, it's a phony happiness because it's brought on not by any true emotion or anything that has happened to them or anything that they have accomplished or, or done. But it's a, as, as they point out, as Spock points out, it's a happiness pill. It's purely a chemical uh, reaction uh, that's brought on by the spores. And so it's phony. It's not real. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think just to kind of compound what you're saying, Mark, you know, um, if you don't have a contrast by which to hold that happiness, how can you even at some point know what that happiness is? Let, let's say that uh, let's say that those settlers on Omicron SETI actually reproduced, which apparently they're not doing. They they don't have kids, and that doesn't seem to be part of their abilities there. Um, but there there is no way for them to see that here's something negative or here's something positive. All they have is this euphoria which I think is different from happiness. Um, but there's no understanding then of uh, how do you compare that to another emotion, to, to another uh, uh, state? There's no way to do it. And, and I think that's what a lot of our listeners were kind of commenting on. Just it's, saying it's like somebody who's on ecstasy running around and thinking they're immensely happy. And, 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 uh, and then, uh, you know, obviously when they come down from the ecstasy, uh, all of a sudden they realize, oh, my God, I did all these stupid things and, you know, I wasn't, you know, and it changes the brain patterns in your, you know, in your in your head. And I think, you know, this is like any other drug. I mean, you make the point, yes, indeed, it doesn't have a detrimental effect. In fact, it has a positive effect on the, the body. And, 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 and But um, I think that, you know, ultimately, you know, true happiness comes from, uh, you know, other things. It's not artificial. You know, it's not from a happiness pill. You know, or certainly, you know, for to, to sustain it over, you know, what were weeks, months, years, you know, where where it's it's artificially created as opposed to, um, you know, existing, you know, brought upon by a person's own uh, uh, the things they've attained on their own or or their own relationships or or whatever. But um, th- and that's why that takes us back to the drug argument, which you, I don't think you feel is relevant, but I, I do feel is the <laughs> proper metaphor for for this episode. Yeah. Well, I'm really looking forward to getting all these emails again. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. at least you didn't bag on City of Forever, I hope, because then you're going to get some real hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but praise for that episode. Cool. Thank you very much, Mark Altman, for dropping by to My talk pleasure. about and, uh, and the huge I, controversy. I look forward to hearing what your many fans have to say. Uh, and um, <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and you, I hope you have an unlisted telephone number. And uh, <laughs> Let's be honest. You look forward to hearing what John's many fans have. Well, oh, go on. All right, so Mark, I hope that you will come back and uh, talk about another episode with us sometime. That was my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. See, I think you liked me. And I think he tolerated you, like a physicist tolerates a monkey. Oh, that seems harsh. Like a man of letters tolerates a monkey. Okay, I really think you're being unfair. Like the Brady Bunch tolerated Cousin Oliver. All right, now you've crossed the line. I'm sorry, did I hurt your monkey Cousin Oliver feelings? Say goodnight, computer.
Good night, computer. Now leaving Nerdist.com.